Hello, everybody. Today, we're starting a new series called Eternal Life, What's Next? And it's going to be about seven weeks, I think. A lot of times I miss that. You know, I don't estimate well on these things. But, you know, in the past, we've talked a lot about God's gift of eternal life. In fact, most churches do. But what is eternal life? What happens next after death? And then what happens after that? That's what we want to look at. And when it comes to heaven and what it's like, very few people know much about it. And what most people think is usually wrong or distorted. Many people, including including a lot of Christians, rarely think about heaven or everlasting life. And I think part of it is they're just too preoccupied with things on this earth about this life. Some speak of those who do talk about heaven and eternal life, something like this. Oh, they're so heavenly minded that they're no earthly good. Well, you know what? That's not in the scriptures. Actually, when we are heavenly minded, we become much more earthly good. Because we're building for eternity, the things that really last. We have an eternal view of life. In fact, Jesus, and we'll talk more about this in the weeks ahead, encouraged us to be like that, to be heavenly minded. He talked often about storing up treasure in heaven and not on earth. Colossians 3, very uh, familiar passage for most of us, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, if you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. And then he says, set your mind on the things above, not on the things here on earth. So it's definitely biblical to be heavenly minded and have a focus that way. Actually, and we'll talk more about this, there are over 500 references to heaven in the Bible. So there's a lot to learn. So let's just start off with, and, and by the way, today is just kind of an introduction. And one of the things we want to talk about is how has the church viewed eternal life in heaven throughout the centuries? And if you kind of do a little bit of church history, which, you know, I'm a great fan of church history, you'll find out that there's been periods of church history where Christians have talked a lot and have, have, uh, have talked and taught a lot about heaven. The early church is a good example. There was an intense interest with heaven. Now, maybe part of that is because it was in times of persecution and there were a lot of martyrs. Cyprian, who lived in the uh, late, or about the mid-200s, uh, and he wrote a lot about persecution and dying, and he refers to heaven as our real home. And we're just passing through here. And I think that's a good biblical view. Our real home, and we'll see this a little bit later in the weeks ahead, is in heaven. And we are here only temporarily. In times of war, economic difficulties, plagues and pandemics, there's a lot more interest in heaven. Always has been. During the Middle Ages, where life expectancy was really short, Again, there is a lot more interest in the afterlife. Now, not all of it was accurate, but there's an interest in it. Um, and I'm just kind of just giving just a few examples. Among the slave population, 
in early America. You you go back and you look at, uh, you know, just, uh, for example, a lot of the songs that the slaves had. They were looking forward to going home because here was not a good picture of what they wanted to embrace as home. But they knew that there was something a little bit later. And then, of course, if you study the writings of the persecuted church today, and really not just today, throughout the centuries, there's been an interest in heaven. On the other hand, when there have been times of peace and prosperity, people don't tend to think too much about the next age, the next life. They're too preoccupied about the things here. And I just want to say that um, here at the very beginning of this series that I want to thank many of the great thinkers and scholars who've written on eternal life throughout the ages. Uh, Even though we're going to look at the scriptures primarily for our understanding, I'll probably draw stories and examples from some of them. Some of the people who wrote extensively or talked a lot about uh, heaven, eternal life, was Augustine. He wrote his famous book, The City of God, which a lot of it was, you know, uh, um, toward heaven. Uh, John Bunyan, he wrote Pilgrim's Progress. And even though it was an allegory, it's obvious that a lot of the, a lot of the things he wove into his book were biblical pictures of heaven. Jonathan Edwards, he was uh, in, uh, back in the early mid 1700s and uh, he was a great evangelist. Uh, in fact, he did a lot of things. In, in fact, uh, I, I remember, I'm, as most of you probably know, uh, my degree was in history. I went to Towson University and part of my favorite history professor who, by the way, said he was not a Christian at all. He said the person that influenced American history more than any other person was Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Edwards wrote and taught a lot about heaven. Then there's, uh, jumping up into the 20th century, there's C.S. Lewis. You know, uh, lots of his writings are about the afterlife. In fact, uh, I understand that uh, C.S. Lewis, when he was a boy and not yet converted, he was not a Christian. He said, when I would think of heaven, it was like a just a big sea of tapioca pudding, just kind of blah, bland. And it was just, it represented just, what am I going to do? It, just, it was just, it was the epitome of uh, boredom. However, once he became a Christian, he included a lot of um, references in his allegories that are surprisingly accurate. Like one of the things he kind of, he says, he says, when you get to heaven, it's good. there's hardly words to describe it. And he, he, gave a, he gave an illustration. By the way, this is the type of illustrations I might kind of throw in throughout this series. But he said, just imagine if there is a pregnant woman who's thrown into a dark dungeon, hardly any light, uh, you know, no colors, anything, and she has her baby, let's just say as a boy, uh, I don't remember the details, but as that boy grows up, she's constantly trying to tell her son about the world out there, about lakes and rivers and trees and green grass and all sorts of colors. 
And uh, but all she has is a pencil and paper, and so she kind of draws little outlines of trees and lakes. And and this son thought, well, when he finally got out, it, it would it would all be in pencils. It would be, it'd be all kind of drawings. He could not imagine the color and the detail and the and the beauty of God's creation. And that's probably just a very weak example of the contrast between what we have here and where our home is, where God's leading us. Uh, there's uh, other uh, fairly famous people and Christians who have written a lot on heaven. Uh, Billy Graham, he wrote a book on heaven. He wrote a book on angels. David Jeremiah, who's a lot of people really like him. He's written things on it. Probably one of my favorite uh, authors on heaven is Randy Alcorn. He's written quite a bit. He's he's had has a couple uh, books and even some of his fiction book incorporates heaven quite a bit. But again, even though I may give examples and stories, most important, we want to go to the scriptures. And as I said a few minutes ago, there's over 500 references to heaven in the scriptures and many passages and many stories and many parables, especially by Jesus. And yet, some very influential Christian writers have surprisingly not said much at all. For example, John Calvin, who wrote Systematic Theology, leaves out the subject completely. I mean, I think there's two pages devoted out of all his writings to the topic of heaven. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, who lived in the 20th century, almost nothing. And he wrote about a lot of great truths of the scriptures. How can this be? Especially today, I believe, a lack of teaching and understanding concerning heaven and eternal life is rather glaring and points once again to the obsession with this world that we Christians often have and a lack of an eternal view of life. It represents a shallow Christianity. And no wonder so many people pass over Christianity, uh, I'm not so sure that really relates to me. Let's take this a little step, a step further. Such ignorance and disinterest in the topic of heaven has left us unprepared for the events and the pressures and the difficulties coming upon us in the coming days and years one can almost wonder if there's a spiritual dimension to this. In fact, I believe there is. Let's look at uh, Revelation chapter 13, verse 6. And this is talking about the dragon, the beast. And we'll just go to verse 6. It says, uh, And he opened his mouth in blasphemies against God, to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle, that is, those who dwell in heaven. It's kind of speaking of a satanic conspiracy to blaspheme against God, against his name, and his tabernacle, or more literally, those who live in heaven, who live above. And so there is a satanic plan to try to discredit and to mock the afterlife. So let's go to the Bible for a biblical understanding of what's coming next. The scriptures, we've said it before, let's say it again, must 
be the source of our understanding of what comes next. And this series, we're not talk too much about the last days here. I've done that in other places. But rather, the focus is going to be what happens after Jesus comes back? What happens after death? What do we know for sure about heaven? Because there's a lot that we do know. And by the way, there's a lot that we don't know. What will heaven look like? We'll also look at the topic of suffering because it's very much tied into the topic of death and heaven. And again, we don't know all the details, but I think we're going to find out. There's a whole lot we do know. We also want to dispel a lot of false ideas about heaven. You know, some people, when they think of heaven, they think of this dreamy spirit world with everyone floating around like ghosts and, you know, and playing harps and angels floating by occasionally. I mean, it actually just makes me kind of sleepy thinking about it. And of course, this is a one of those pictures there. And, you know, a lot of people think, well, I don't know. It seems more fun here, you know. Or some people think of one continual, unending church service. It goes on and on forever and ever and ever. And it must be boring after a while. And here's one. Uh, actually, this one, I understand, actually, the Jehovah's Witnesses came up with. And, um, and again, it's kind of a, they're all sitting down just watching. And I think it's also kind of interesting that they're all uh, male no women there, no children there, uh, no people of color there. You know, definitely a distortion, you know. Uh, you know, here's the thing. Most people get their ideas about heaven from movies, from television, even video games, not from the scriptures. And therefore, most people don't really desire to be in heaven. And if we're, if we're really honest, there's almost a dread of it, a dread of dying, dread of going to heaven like, oh, wow, that's going to be the dull part of our life. People, including Christians, have not been taught what the scriptures will be like. And that's one of the things we want to do. And yet, when people have been surveyed, most people, I mean, the overwhelming majority of people in this world from all cultures believe in some type of afterlife. And most believe in heaven and in hell. And actually, if we were kind of do a little bit more of just, uh, just uh, the history of the world, we'd see that almost every culture throughout the centuries, throughout history, has had some belief in the afterlife. That's because God has placed inside of every one of us a desire, even a longing for a home that this world doesn't really satisfy. So let's, let's, let's just, again, this is just an introduction today, but let's, let's look at John 14. This is what Jesus is telling his disciples. Uh, this is right after the... Uh, the Lord's Supper, so it's at the very end. And let me read it. Verses, uh, let's go to verses 1 through 3. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would not have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. 
and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Okay, so here Jesus is talking about a physical place. There's rooms, houses, dwelling places. And by the way, that word dwelling place in Greek means a actual literal home, physical location. It's not talking about some little dreamy, you know, ghost in the air type of thing. Heaven is a real place, not just some spirit world. We have real bodies. We will have a real place to live. There'll be things to do, like responsibilities. And we're going to examine all this in the weeks ahead. But here it says, Jesus is preparing a place for us. Now that should get us excited. You know, uh, because it's been 2,000 years and he's still kind of preparing this place. And, uh, and I don't know about you, but before I go to a new place, let's say if I'm going to be visiting a new city or kind of to a country I've never been in, I read everything I can about it. Sometimes I get into it. I start reading the history. I read about the culture. I read about the food. I read as much as I can about it. And it prepares me, and I feel like I appreciate it a lot more when I get there. Or I can remember when I was 15, my dad came home one day and said, uh, He's been assigned to go to Taiwan. I wasn't even sure where Taiwan was at that time. But you know what? I wanted to know everything about it. And actually, by way of coincidence, National Geographic that particular month came out with their lead stories about Taiwan. And I probably read that magazine probably 15 times before we went. And, uh, and I remember going to the library, reading as much as I can about it because I was going to live there. I wasn't just going to visit. I was going to actually live there for a couple of years. Well, let me tell you, you're moving too, to a permanent place, actually really permanent, like in eternity. And don't you want to know something about it? Of course you do. And I think if we get rid of a lot of the preconceived ideas about what heaven is and what it's not, I think there will be, I know, there will be a desire and a longing to know more and to look forward to that. We've kind of talked about this before, but our life represents only a short part of your existence. And sometimes uh, uh, I've kind of used the illustration of a long line, you know, and, uh, you know, we see it right here. And our life is like a dot on this line, except this line actually just goes as far as you can. It goes to the West Coast. Then it goes over to Asia. Then maybe it kind of goes on to the moon. And then it kind of goes into the galaxies. And still, our life is like a dot on that line. Or really, to be more accurate, all of human history as we know it now is like a dot on that line. And yet, we get so obsessed and concerned trying to make something out of our life that we don't make something out of the real life. Psalm 39, verses 4, 5, and 6. Oops, keep missing it here. It says, Lord, make me to know my end the end of this particular life, that is, and what is the extent of my days, 
Let me know how transient I am. Because you really are transient, and I'm transient. Behold, you have made my days as hand breaths. I mean, just think about it. You know, like a, we're approaching winter. I mean, you know, sometimes when you go outside, especially here in Colorado, you kind of breathe, and there's a little puff of air. That's what our life is like, you know. And my lifetime is nothing in your sight. Surely every man at his best is a mere breath. Wow. And then it goes on and says, Surely man walks around as a phantom. Surely they make an uproar for nothing. I mean, we make a big to-do about earth, don't we? And our life here, you know, my bucket list of all the things I want to do and, you know, and how I need to get ahead and how I need to save more and how I need to do this and this and this. Surely they make an uproar for nothing. He amasses riches and does not know who will gather them. He hopes his children will, but you know what? They're like a breath too. You know, uh, our life is very short. Let's pray that we get a good understanding of that. I mean, fully understand it. Because there's much of this life that we are doing that has, very frankly, no lasting value. Read the book of Ecclesiastes. If we may refer to this in the weeks ahead. You know, everything's like vanity. You know, everything we do. Why? Because this life is just that dot on that line that we talked about. Isaiah chapter 40. We see it again. Verse 6 and 7. It says, uh, a voice calls, says, call out. And he answered, what shall I call out? All flesh is grass and all its loveliness is like the flower of the field. In other words, it's temporary. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. And part of the word of the God is all the, the mass of knowledge and and. Uh, we talk about the passages and verses and stories and parables that talk about eternal life. That is real. In fact, we could say that's the real life. This is just a shadow or something temporary because we are temporary. Now, that's not bad news. It's not depressing news. We just get to go to real life. To what we've been destined for. And that is what I want us to get out of this series. And once we get this, it will affect how we live our lives here. One other passage. Uh, Philippians 1. Just to verse 21. By the way, that's just a doorbell. Someone's going to get that. It says, But to me to live is Christ." And to die is gain. But if I'm to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me. And I do not know which to choose. But I'm hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ. For that is much, very much better. And we need to kind of see that. It's very much better. So, in conclusion, we have a lot to learn, to study, and my prayer is that this series 
will be life-changing for all of us. A couple of things I hope that we get out of this. One, we'll not be afraid of death. We won't dread it. You know, Hebrews 2, 15. It's, uh, it says, let me kind of, I don't think we have it up here, but let me just kind of read it for you real quick here. Uh, Hebrews 2, 15, it talks about, it's talking about Jesus might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. You know, most people have a fear of death. But that's not what it's supposed to be. So one of my goals in this series is it will come away not fearing death anymore. We won't dread it. Second, we'll actually look forward and anticipate our next life. Third, we will change the way we live here. We'll begin to store up treasure in heaven and not become so obsessed with the things of this world. And then finally, our love for Christ is going to grow and increase as we begin to take on this eternal view of our lives. That's my prayer, and let's pray right now. Father, we just want to thank you for all that you've kind of promised us in the future. Lord, open our eyes to see that this is really not our real life. Our real life begins later, especially if we belong to you and our names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Lord, we will not be afraid. We should not dread it. We're going to look forward and even anticipate our next life. We're going to change. It's, this, this series is going to change the way that we live. And we're going to not be so obsessed with the things of this world, but we're going to work on doing things that count for eternity. And Lord, I really believe that our love for you is going to grow and increase as we begin to take on this eternal view 